This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody. Good Chodesh. Welcome to Torah Essentials Program. And today we are moving into uh, the countdown. Uh, today's the second day of the month of Nissan, and we have about, I don't know, 12 days left. Uh, I have someone for all you ladies to date, by the way. Someone came into town who's dateable. I'm sorry, Stephen, I will interrupt the class, but I'll be in Really? Okay, so he's in town. He's not going to be in town long, but it, okay, so right on, it's, it's a good catch. How are you? Just alert all the ladies, and we'll uh, we'll let you date him one at a time. Oh. <laughs> that is serious. No, he's, he's, he's serious, but it's got to be the right lady. It's got to be the right man. <laughs> it's got to be right. <laughs> Wait, your Bubby's there. Okay. Trying to get these, these ladies married, like, uh, yeah. Keep in mind the, the over 30 crowd to help them get married. So. So the, the energy of the times we're in, I'd like to illustrate that energy. Um, let me see if I got a good pen around here. Uh, that might work. Uh, we're going from a we're going from a minus fifty to a plus fifty. And Right here is the middle, let's say, and the minus 50, the Jews were on the 39th, uh, 49th level of impurity, meaning they were almost like in total minus. If they had hit 50, the deal would have been off with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of the promised land for the Jews. I mean, that was a deal contingent upon us still remaining to be Jews. Uh, but unfortunately, we felt... Uh, felt we fell hard in Egypt, and and it's understandable why we fall so hard. It's pre-Torah. We're living in a society that's filled with all kinds of really intense sorcery, and and they had their own technologies there over there. And and what are you going to do? You you're the grandchildren or great grandchildren or great great grandchildren of of a prophet named Yaakov, who has passed away. Couple generations ago, we were we were enslaved for 210 years. So, the memory of being the the great 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 grandchildren of a prophet versus the intense society they were living in, which was really intense. Meaning, it made what we're dealing with today with internet and, and laptops and smartphones and, and Teslas and all the stuff that draws kids who who have grandparents who are observant or even parents who are observant, it still has, as you know, a tremendous lure. But the society of Egypt was way more intoxicating than our society. Our society is definitely intoxicating, but it was more intoxicating. Because once you're dealing with sorcery and stuff like that, black magic and all the ooby-gooby stuff from the dark side, where Egypt was like, you know, really known for this, so maybe grab a seat up. You want to come sit up here so she can have a, a good place to push the eye on? Come, come. Yeah. Let, let him move on. 
So there's seats up in there. Yeah, sit next to us. Anyway, I mean, it, it's it's got its own draw, and and it's also it's a better draw than the shallow draw of today's modern society. I mean, think about it. If you get sucked into YouTube, is that deep or shallow? shallow. Depends what you're watching. It's yeah, shallow. No, I mean, even what you're watching, it's a bit shallow because it's it can basically only be informational. So I can't really stop. Informational is a hell of a lot deeper than watching animals attack each other, which a lot of people get sucked into on YouTube. <laughs> My lectures maybe are a little deeper, but. <laughs> but still, when you're watching it online, no offense to everyone watching it online, I, I mean, one in 30 or 40 watching it online are going to take it to where I'm, where we're taking it, watching it on a computer in yeah. New York. Or so, anyway, it's shallow. And obviously, the content could get deeper. You know, there are levels of depth, but generally it's shallow. Whereas... Whereas when you're in a country that's filled with, like, steeped in witchcraft and every kind of sorcery, and, and it's, like, palpable, and the, there's, there's magicians who can do stuff, but everywhere, and, and that's just the way they lived back then with technologies of all sorts that, you know, I mean, some say it's conspiracy theory, but, uh, but many say that those pyramids and various things they've discovered in Egypt proves technologies that uh, some believe are beyond ours today. And the, anyway, but whether or not that's true, because it was going to the deeper core, meaning the pull was to your, the pull was to your core places. What are, what's our core place? Our core place is to feel connected. That's what we all want in our core. All you've ever wanted was connection. And think about it. Everything you do is just to, have connection. We all dream of connection. All we want is connection. A lot of us believe that connection will come through various things that it won't come from. Um, some of us know certain things that it will come from, like marriage, having babies, or you know, like ultimately, why do you want a baby? Is because you want the connection. You want the connection, and and uh, and us men want to be married because we want the connection. And then there's a counterfeit of connection is is attention. So why do we wear this? Why do we spend time with, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, we, we put a lot of energy into attention, which is just counterfeit connection. But the real thing we want is connection. And when you're dealing with a country that's steeped in, in sorcery, so connectedness is what you get. You get connectedness. Now, you got the connection of the black magic world of Egypt versus the fact that you're the great, 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 great grandson of a prophet. So uh, being the great, great, great grandson of a prophet or granddaughter of a prophet is a little dusty compared. Now, because prophecy is, you know, a billion times higher than black magic, um, and women are more natural for connection, so they were able to stay current with Jacob, like Jacob never died for the Jewish women of Egypt. Jacob stayed alive for the Jewish women of Egypt, whereas the men fell out of the, the, the Jacob thing. Like they, they, they lost their Jacob connection. Women stayed true to it. In fact, it's only, it was only based on them. 
the men, the reason we got down to 49 levels of impurity was because the men had basically dropped off into the, into the um, Egyptian culture. It's just because the women held out. We were like right there in the balance from falling all the way, fall, falling all the way. And uh, but the women refused to, uh, to succumb to the culture of Egypt. And even though we, the men had lost it, the women held on. And therefore we got redeemed. We didn't hit the 50th level. The promise to Abraham and Jake, Isaac and Jacob stayed. And, you know, it's remained established. And through that, we got out. But if, like, at the last if, moment. If we did hit the 50th level, then would God have been forced to not redeem us? And then therefore, the promise would never have been fulfilled. If we hit the 50th level? Yeah, then yeah. He, he would have but then, but then, the But then what about the promise he made to Abraham? The promise was only if you're still Israel. The promise was to B'nai Israel. Yeah, but we were still B'nai Israel regardless of... Maybe in, in genetically we were B'nai Israel, but there's a point of acting not B'nai Israel enough okay. that you're no longer part of B'nai Israel. Nice. Yeah. Is that why uh, women have more of a ten had a stronger tendency towards witchcraft than men do? The connection aspect? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. And the, but it's also... Um, it's it's not just the, the connection desire or ability... It's more the intuition. You need a lot of intuition for this. I Meaning for you to become a warlock or for her to become a witch, they, she's going to have a lot easier time becoming a witch and you're going to have a lot rougher time becoming a warlock because, because it, there's a lot of intuitive stuff. You're, think about it. What you're doing involved in that is you're channeling down energy. Well, you got to be a, a receiver. <coughs> You gotta be a good receiver for that energy, and so uh, women in general are, are greater receivers. Men are greater asserters, and women are greater receivers. And, and so women are you know, more naturally. Better. So I don't know if it's so much their desire to connect as as much as the issue, or maybe we could say the ability, the being receiver by nature makes you more wanting to connect. Maybe I think men want to connect as much. You know, I've noticed over years and years of, of working with men and women that the difference between men and women is uh, is that women admit that connections with their men are, you know, would rather drive a Harley and make a lot of noise driving down the street and pretend they don't really need connection and attention will be just fine for them. But once you know attention is a counterfeit of connection, then you really realize that women and men are the same with connection. It's just that uh, men don't want to admit it. It's not manly to want to connect. With God. Um, but I will warn men that, that uh, don't come to your wife and say, I just want to be held. It, it makes her feel insecure. So don't don't go there. If you need to be held, go to a good friend. How's it going? Yeah. Welcome, welcome. Long time. Uh, come sit, come sit. Grab some real seats. Are you, are you guys together? Here, table for two, right? Right over here. Table for two, please. Your weight will be right with you. Where have you been? So far. Where? I'm here. Where? Where are you guys from? Long Island. Where from London? Sayasa. I just met a guy exactly your age 
wearing a plaid shirt like yours. My right age. up right your age. Just as I was walking in class. How old? I don't know, you whatever your age is. I, <laughs> I, I, I can guess your age a lot better than most people because I look a lot younger than I am. And you have you noticed how you suddenly know the ages of people your age? You know, more within a few years. It's weird, right? Because you guys look at someone his age, you're like, you could probably guess within 20 years, but we can guess each other's age within two or three years. But I'm going to guess yours? 36. 62. You know his age? Sean Chalone. Maybe. I said 62. I'm saying 60. 62. 52. Oh! Uh, he's messing with Oh, no, you're not 68. You're 68. Wow, what'd you drink? Uh, what'd you have? No wonder he wears a lumberjack shirt. He's like... Climbing up those stairs. Powerful. How's the closest? So how old am I? You? Yeah. 60. <laughs> <laughs> 45. 40. 45. No. 46. You got it. What is it? 49. Yeah, by the way, my birthday's coming up. As you have to come to my birthday. When's your birthday? Yeah, I didn't do that last My year. 50th birthday. My birthday. I was going to make you a cake. Yeah. You're a dollar niece. You're your dad, I'm you. Oh, nice. Last year, your wife said I can make you a cake. I never did that. Ezra, I don't think she needs you to make a cake. <laughs> okay, listen. You probably don't like cake anyway. Anyway, so I was saying that if men ever need to like get that extra support... Uh, it's better you do that with a friend. And uh, you're there to support your wife. Not, not she, she can support you, but not when you're really feeling like you just got to cry in somebody's arms. <laughs> Find someone else for that or pay a hundred bucks or something. <laughs> Crying in a therapist's arms. But crying in your wife's arms just makes her feel completely nervous. And, wow. Who's, if the captain's crying, where's the ship going? You know? So... Uh, by the way, crying uh, from emotion with your wife, like cry, like getting emotional with your wife, that's beautiful. That's great. That doesn't make her feel lost at all if she realizes she's got a real man on her hands. With what sorts of emotion? A real person she's married to. I'm talking about when you, when you, the little boy in you just needs to be held. When the little boy in you needs to be held, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Just do that with anyone but your cry? wife. What's that? What if she's not ready for you to cry? At all? Yeah. Every woman's ready for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, like at funerals and stuff. <laughs> On young people. Any deep feelings creates crying, whether they're sad or happy. Any deep feeling. And women are appreciate that their husbands have a working emotional system. Oh. Uh. Yeah. I was just talking about little boy, little boy stuff. Now, we had gone down to the depths comes along the redemption and you know we got the ten plagues God wants to like make his name big that was the whole purpose of creation was that people should recognize God God was like very low literally on the totem poles God was low on the totem pole it's, you're not supposed to have totem poles meaning and there was God at the bottom of the totem pole that you're not allowed to have and because of idolatry and so God came out low on the totem pole and he, God just wanted to make it to the top of the totem pole. And that's why God created the world. I and mean, what's the point of creation? If not, that we should recognize there's a God. And God was completely unrecognized. And instead of just redeeming the Jews, which would have been a lot easier on everybody, God decided to go for a total showdown. 
and and there was this ten plague showdown, which must have been. I mean, I'd pay anything to watch. Oh, yeah, that. Was, that must have been cool. Because yeah, the Jews were hanging out in this nice town called Goshen, a little bit outside, you know, downtown Egypt. And, <laughs> and they got they were they were like a Goshen. I was like, if I, whenever I hear the word Goshen, I always think of uh, Palm Desert, you know, in the, in the Palm Springs over there. Like the Jews were all they were like at their Goshen Country Club. And there, because you know that the second the sea turned to blood, the second the Nile turned to blood, the Jews were out of slavery. Slavery ended there. Really? You know that? Yeah, no more slavery. We were done. Oh, yeah. not second. First plague hit. So why were they chilling slavery in Egypt? Slavery over. What? So why were they chilling in Egypt? At that point, it was just watching the show. Yeah, so every, every every plague lasted a month. They got to wait like a month Pharaoh of. What? It's like a plague festival. Yeah, they weren't necessarily allowed to leave, but they were not working anymore. They were yeah. they were just chilling and watching the show on the big screen. There wasn't and even any Torah to learn. Yeah, they couldn't learn Torah, so they <laughs> the just watched, watched the plagues. Levium, what? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Anyway, the bottom line is is that is that God decided that it's time to do a big show, and some Jews took another uh, almost year to leave for the ten plagues. So it was a month of plague. And uh, they only got to leave 10 months later. And so 10 months of watching the, the whole thing. And then finally the big night. Now the big night was, was super spectacular. And it was an experience. The leaving of Egypt was an experience of going all the way up to plus 50. So they were down at minus 49, almost at minus 50. And they got to fly up to plus 50 at the Seder night. So it was like a major spiritual freebie. Why would they know that you got 50? To get to 50? It was a freebie. I said it was a freebie. They weren't so. Well, they, jumped, they went into the young They were not. They we're using a little Hebrew, sorry, but uh, they were not. They did not merit it. It was a freebie. And they got to experience the 50th level. Well, didn't they merit of, because of, they went into the Yamsov before it split? What about the Amsa? That one guy went in before. That's split. later. That's seven days later. We're not. Oh, there. they didn't. We're not there. Right? We're on just leaving. Yeah. Their leaving was what gave them the merit. Give them what? It's what gave them the merit. That they left. Yeah. Why would they hang around? Because a lot of people wanted to stay. In Egypt. Yeah. Eighty percent. Eighty percent. Oh, meaning those people. You mean? Oh, yeah. They did have the merit of not being part of that game. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Maybe soon. Yeah. No, Moshe was by far the world's worst tour guide. So <laughs> four-fifths are like, what? I mean, think about Moses. Like, you're asking him, you know, you imagine you're like, you're emailing your tour guide, you know, the travel agent, and you're like, so uh, how long are we going for? Because uh, apparently you keep saying to Pharaoh three days. <laughs> it's just like, why does he keep saying that to Pharaoh? But... They're not going for three days. You ever notice that? You ever thought about that? Why does he keep saying to Pharaoh, they're going for three days? Like, you're Moses. You're supposed to say the truth. All right. Moses lies? No. It was only supposed to be. No. It wasn't supposed to be 40 years. I know. They were going to Israel forever. <laughs> Forget 40 years. So we'll it wasn't on. three days or 40 years forever. We're not coming back. So we'll we're so. leaving Egypt. There's oh, a commandment right. never even to come back to Egypt. It's one of the 613 you never allowed to go back to. What's the answer? Why did he lie? You don't know why he lied? It's not really lying. Question why? Why do you lie? 
So, uh, it's being diplomatic. You allowed to lie for diplomacy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's just... Anyway, the answer is is that Judaism is not Christianity. And and you're allowed to lie. For the right things, you're allowed to lie. One of the th- examples our sages tell us is if you're... If you're uh, um, I mean, it was put to me like a train, even though there weren't trains back then. But the sages say that if you are on a... You know, in that case, it would have been a caravan of travelers. So, but let's just call it like a train. If you're on a train and someone says, uh, there's a bandit on the train and he says to you, so what stop are you getting off? So you want to tell them an earlier stop or a much later stop? Yeah, you want to tell them a much later stop and then get off the second the train stops. Make the guy think you're on the train for a long period of time. So he relaxes and then you get off as soon as you can. And, and that's just the way Judaism works is that we we do we say what we need to say to have the ultimate, you know, goodness happen in the world. Now, it's a slippery slope, so you have to be <laughs> oh, yeah, careful. You know, if you if you think you could just lie for like the ultimate good, <laughs> you can get yourself in so much trouble. So watch watch out for uh, watch out for that. You you got to be careful with what you can be um, lying about, and uh, that's what we have rabbis for. So if you have a, like a lie coming up that you got to do in some situation, call the rabbi and ask him if it's okay. The rabbis are very strict with telling the truth, so they will they will be uh, they're they're going to be super conservative with their answer. But it may be that you're allowed to lie in different situations. The rabbi can lie to you. Though. What's that? The rabbi can lie to you. <laughs> The rabbi, <laughs> yeah, the rabbi himself is not allowed to lie unless he's a loser rabbi. So if you got a loser rabbi, you may you may lie, and there there are you know plenty of stories of loser rabbis. We're having an epidemic of rabbis today. You know, part of the whole Haredi movement was two hundred years ago was we're gonna we're no more dealing with the Enlightenment. You know, where they come and kind of bring all their ideas to a town of ignoramuses, they, we're going to make everyone a rabbi. No more working at 12, 13 years old. You're going to go to yeshiva. And they created yeshiva so that when the enlightenment would come mowing through these towns, they would wind up having to deal with a bunch of learned Jews. And that got a lot harder for the enlightenment to deal with, was Jews who actually know something. It was easy for the Enlightenment to mow through those Jewish towns when the Jews didn't know what they were doing. But the movement of yeshivas was to create a high-level scholarship amongst the whole entire nation so that the Enlightenment wouldn't have as big a shot at us. And you see, it's worked. (laughs) Today, we have more people are learning full-time in Torah since Mount Sinai. There has never been this many people in full-time learning. It's in our entire history. There's never been this amount of learning going on. And it's all because of the Enlightenment. Now, um, anyway, but what that does, it creates an epidemic of rabbis. And now you, you, got, you could have a real hooligan playing rabbi, right? Because, you know, if, if rabbis became a dime a dozen, so after, you know, about ten dozen of rabbis, you're going to definitely have a couple charlatans in the mix. And so you, you got to be careful. You know, you got to be careful with your choice of rabbi. Make sure you got the got the straight ones. Yeah. And by the way, most rabbis obviously are are, are straight, but all it takes is one bad apple, and it's like 
everyone who knows that story will say, oh, rabbis. You understand? So that's the way it works. So there's a nice spot up here. If you'd like to... Oh, you're a rabbi. That's the rabbi. Okay, good. So um, back to our story. Thanks for bringing up bad rabbis. Um, <laughs> uh, we were we were talking about Moses. So Moses was saying the three day thing because going up to Pharaoh and saying we're just leaving forever was uh, was just not going to be very diplomatic. You know, it just wasn't going to work with Pharaoh. And so you see, it, it just teaches you something about even Moses is allowed to say things that are not exactly what's going to be taking place, but we got to leave Egypt. And so we're going to say what we got to say to make it happen. Now, I, but I think there's not a person in the world who would say you should say the truth to a Nazi. If you can save, save your life, right? So Hitler was... Um, Pharaoh was Hitler, and his his soldiers were Nazis. And you say what you got to say to try to save some Jews. Now, the um, anyway, we get this freebie. We get to go to plus fifty, which is like major gift. Not that earned. It was earned enough that the they were part of the group that went with it. Terrible tour guide. By the way, when I was talking about the terrible tour guide, I, I, we got caught up in the line. Think about Moses as a tour guide, and you're emailing with the, you know, this tour operator, and you're like, "So, how long are we going for?" No clue. Um, where are we going exactly? So we're going to Israel ultimately, but you know, it, it wasn't clear we we're going to Sinai, to the Mount Sinai. Um, what are we going to eat? What are we going to be eating? Meaning, if you don't know how long we're going for, I mean, I know you men, this doesn't mean much to you, but women want to know how long this journey is going to be going on because they need to know how much food to pack. And, and Moses is just, once again, he, just, he keeps sending back question marks. You know, like, like, or he sends back the word, don't know. Yeah. No matter what you ask him, he doesn't know. Why would anyone be worried if God just did ten miracles? And then we're going to the drink. What are we going to be drinking? You know, we're going out to the Sinai Desert. There's one thing you can know for sure: it's not going to be raining down there. There's not going to be lakes. There's not going to be rivers. There's not going to be water at all. How long are we going for? What are we going to be eating? Going to be eating? What are we going to be drinking? How much clothing should we be bringing for this event? You know, how much should we pack? Moses doesn't know there's going to be manna from heaven. He doesn't know there's going to be water from a rock. He doesn't know that you can stay in your original outfits because you're going to have the clouds of glory laundering your clothes. I always wonder, do you have to like go, like, do you have to like rub up against the clouds of glory? Because they were like surrounding the Jewish camp, you know, as the Jews are going through the desert. Did you have to like, like go like this along the edge of the camp? Like, like. You get a big like tomato, you know, from a, you're drinking a tomato juice and you got a stain on your, <laughs> how do the clouds of glory exactly launder your clothes? And uh, not only that, but our shoes would grow on us. Like your kids are growing up out there. So, and there's another thing, like what, what kind of, uh, 
You know, how are we going to deal with our, raising our kids out there? What are they going to be wearing? You know, hand-me-downs. But the clothing and the shoes would grow on the on the kids as they got bigger for the 40 years. The baby's diapers just like <laughs> got bigger after all they grew. They grew uh, pant, pant leggings and stuff. What? Babies are born with diapers. Funny, in all the years of dealing with this story, no one ever brought up what the babies were wearing. <laughs> You know what? The babies were the hand-me-downs of the toddlers. I know, but the, to- the toddlers, toddlers' clothes were growing on them. What were the babies wearing? The people died, no? Boy, we had, kid- we had people four-year-olds old walking out with no clothes on. The dead people's clothing, Charles. The dead people's clothes. Yeah, that's what I said. They were, you were saying they were the dead people's clothes. Yeah, didn't people? When did they start dying? It wasn't from the beginning, was it? Old people were probably dying the whole time while they're in the desert. I don't know, but you understand Moses is a lousy tour guide. Yeah, he's got no info, no info, and so that's what these ladies were bringing up was that four fifths of the Jews were like, "You've got to be kidding! I'm not going with this guy." And so those four fifths died in the plague of darkness, and. Um, <sighs> And the one-fifth that didn't die in the plague of darkness got to go out. And they had the merit. Maybe that was, it was their merit. So they had the merit. Uh, what I want to say was just, since we're on this subject, is which would you be? Would you be amongst the four-fifths or would you be amongst the one-fifth? In other words, how practically do you live your How practical are you in life? Because everyone who was practical died. And everyone who was like, you know, the personalities that say, don't tell me the odds, personalities. You know those kinds of personalities where they're just going for it. Like, don't tell me the odds. I'm just, I'm gonna go and it's gonna work. It's called committed people. People are like, they just commit to it and they just know it. Every time they commit to something, it always seems to work. So, who would you be? And if you would have been of the practical people who did not get out of Egypt and actually died in the plague of darkness, if you would have been one of those practical types, so then. You know, then you got to do some soul searching because we're leaving Egypt in 13 days. You know, we're coming back to the leaving of Egypt in 13 days. And, and if you're going to leave Egypt, you have to do a major soul searching. You know what your chametz is? Your chametz is being too practical. So while you're searching for your chametz, it's part of your chametz is being practical. This was the most impractical story the most impractical situation ever was for us just to march out into, like, you know. But you're right, you know, and if you think about it, uh, the, the words, uh, you know, Haben Yakirli, Ephraim, Lech Dechacharai Bamidbar, Let Eretz Lozeruah, follow me into a desert that is completely unplanted, meaning there's no food there. That's, that's a great sign of merit that we are impractical so by the way there's nothing wrong with being somewhat practical but I think in matters of God's will that's when you gotta drop being practical in matters of God's will so meaning if you have a mitzvah at hand it's impractical that's where you go with the mitzvah 
Whereas in normal life, you do have to work. Like you want to you be able to go to the market and buy food. You've got to have worked first to make the money to go buy the food. So I think practical has to do with day to day and impractical has to do with when a mitzvah and practical are butting up, head, they're butting heads. So when mitzvah and practical butt heads, you go with mitzvah. When, when it's just regular life and there's practical, then you got to act, then you got to do something. Be practical. Okay. Um, I've noticed this comes up a lot with Shabbat. Newbies, newbies to Shabbat, it's impractical for them. Uh, first of all, the fact that there won't be any transportation to anywhere they'll be going on Shabbat. For newbies, that's just weird. You know, what do you mean we're, we're going to walk? And then you tell them, and also please leave all, everything home. You're not going to have a, please don't bring your wallet. You know, they're overseas. Please don't bring your passport. No ID. You know, no nothing. And, uh, you know, just leave, leave all your possessions. So for those of us who are observant, that's normal. Like to not have anything on you, including any electronic devices. But people who are not raised that way and don't live that way to tell them, oh yeah, you're coming for Shabbat dinner. Make sure you leave your cell phone home. They're like, what? I'm coming for dinner. Uh, why do I have to leave my cell phone home? Would you be in the one-fifth or the four-fifths? I'm definitely a one-fifther. <laughs> I'm the most impractical person ever. I need to, like, head a little more towards the four-fifths in a lot of my life. You know, like, my, you know what my comment is this year? It's being such an intense one-fifth guy that, uh, that I like it's hard to feel stable if you're raised in my home because I'm so out there on like following God into the desert that, that my kids are just like they don't know if I'm going or coming coming or going which one you say coming or going they don't know if I'm coming or going so I'm a hardcore one fifth and, and so far it's worked great and the truth is my kids my kids know that's the way things work, and so they realize that is the security, is having a one-fifth father. And the, and they've learned a lot of things from that as a result. You know, I've created more or less a one-fifth household, which, you know, much to my wife's chagrin, it's, uh, you know, she's slowly, we're only married 23 years, but she's slowly learning to trust me. Slowly. Did I mention the word slow? Yeah. <laughs> Or what is the current state of those forfeits who didn't reject in, in all of the world right now? Like, what do you think they're doing? What happened to all those Jews? What's happening to them right now, this current cycle? Yeah, that's that's beyond me. Uh, could be that the Kabbalists talk about it. Maybe the RSL mentions what happens to the forfeits. Don't know. Okay, we're good. Let's get back to our class. We get the 50th level of Kedusha, of sanctity. Big freebie. After the leaving of Egypt, the Jews get dropped. Dropped hard. All the way down to where? Zero. They get dropped down to zero. And what they do is they build their way up. One, two, three, four, five, six. They build their way up seven weeks of rebuilding themselves to get back to 
50. Seven sevens. What's seven times seven? 49. 49. 49 is seven sevens, and then they get to jump up to the, the 50. Now, they were down 49 over here. They got they get up to 50 at the leaving of Egypt. They get dropped down to zero, and they rebuild. Now, have you guys ever noticed in life that you'll get inspired about something exciting and but like really feel the inspiration and then it kind of goes away yeah and then you're like hey where to go now a lot of people give up but what you're supposed to do is that was your freebie and now you got to work your way back to it happens a lot in relationships you ever had like someone you just so connected with and you're like wow like a best friend or or it could be uh it could be uh could be a marriage even, like, like you know, the big wow of the wedding or something. Motre, how are you? Can you turn off the AC? I'm starting to freeze. Uh, up the top, just hit the power. Thank you so much. I love this silence moment. This is favorite part of the class. You know what that is? You guys feel it? There's things that grab our nervous system. Buzzes, hums, traffic sounds, ambient noises. They're, they're so playing on you that you don't even know that you get a bunch of your bandwidth has been stolen by, by distraction. And even shutting up an AC system immediately like draws you in when you really, all of a sudden you get this bandwidth back and it's a lot of empty bandwidth because it's not getting stimulated and that freaks you out just enough to pop out of, to pop out of the hijacking of your thinking because your thinking hijacks you because you're not your thinking. You have thoughts, but those aren't you. And so all of a sudden having a little free bandwidth just in random nervous system pickups like an AC system. When the bandwidth goes off, it just enough jiggles things so that you get you back. And then your thinking becomes nothing more than thinking. It's just thinking. It's not me. It reports to me, but it's not me. And all it takes is just turning off the AC and you're back. I'll, I'll give you an example. Montreal, can you turn it on again? Uh, but turn on high. like. Give us, give us a, just turn up the temperature a bit. Go on and then the fan, turn it up. It only has low and high. Okay, just stay there for a second. Now, now listen up. Yeah, now yeah. It's just so bad. But if had I been teaching this whole time with that in the background, you just, you just kind of tune it out and tune me in and but meanwhile I'd be grabbing all kinds of bandwidth in your nervous system just because your ears they don't have a choice they have to report ears report what they hear and so it's got to report it and so it goes up the nerves it's the neurons neurons are like what the hell is the <laughs> going on all the time neurons are constantly bothered by it anyway um, I want you to turn it off randomly uh, not randomly I'll tell you when but in a moment let's just let it be there Anyway, so then we're going to count seven sevens and work our way back. 
So the example I was giving was, have you ever had, like, for example, a relationship where you sense the light of it? A uh, perfect example in the observant community is the wedding night. And the and it's, like, super high. And maybe Chevrolet are quite high, still highly stimulating. But then, like, you wake up after seven brachas and you look across the room and you're like, who the hell are you? I'm married. And, like, what happened to all the fireworks? And then what happens is you start your process on your way back. Okay, hit it. Everyone get ready. <laughs> Sensitive. What is that? The answer is it's you. You, can, you actually come out whenever the, the, the brain gets jiggled a little, it loses one of its sensory things, sends you like literally like careening into presence. And then you get present. Amazing. But the, this muscle is a muscle in your own head. I can do it with, I don't need air conditioners to turn off to get present. And so you, it's kind of a cheap way to do it. You know? It's a lot better than 10 years in India fasting, you know, and the, to get present. All you need is, a, I mean, these days things are a lot easier. All you need is the AC system to go off, you know, which is really amazing. They say, the spiritual teachers today say that what you had to do in India 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 years ago for years and years, is now because it's it's like hit the world, so now it's in the world, and it doesn't take much anymore. It's, it's available. Okay. Wait, what is it? Consciousness. Consciousness is available. You don't need to go to India for that. How? However, developing developing the discipline to distinguish thinking from self, that muscle of being a disciplined thinker where you don't allow your brain just to take you on a walk. Mm -hmm. You're not some dog that your brain gets to take you on a walk everywhere it wants to go. <laughs> You're not your brain's dog. You actually have a soul that has a brain that does a lot of thinking. But you're not... That thinking can't take your soul on a walk. I mean, there's no collar big enough for your soul, for your thinking to take you on a walk. So how do we know which one's our soul and which one's our brain? If it has content, it's your brain. <laughs> if it doesn't have content, it's your soul. Souls don't have content. Only brains have Now, the now the uh, the seven the seven weeks are us building back to it, and just back to the relationship. Just to give you a little a caveat that our us rabbis like is, um, I know you guys want us rabbis to show up to your wedding and stuff, and like maybe make brachos and stuff. You should know that any rabbi making a bracha under a is so not impressed. You know, I mean, they'll make the bracha, they'll get all the honor, you know. <laughs> Suddenly, like, they're big cobblers on the word Elokeinu. No, 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 sorry, mele. <laughs> I get to make fun of rabbis when this time. Yeah, it's mele. This is, how, this is how rabbis were into honor, make their bracha under a chuppah. Yeah. Like suddenly the word like become this, you know, they remember everything they learned in the Arizal about the word Melech, you know, like, something about the word Hashem and Elokainer are skipped over completely. 
How many chuppas have I been there where the entire staff of rabbis went through the bracha like that? You know, <laughs> completely skipped over the names of God you know, to get to their big melech moment. You know? <laughs> I think they should just announce their own name at the melech part. <laughs> the sweetest old, old white bearded rabbi, really old rabbi who's who's a big rabbi. He, he came over to he, he came over to me once and uh, and he said uh, he said we're 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 quite close. So he, he wouldn't say this to anybody except for me. That he comes up to me and he says, he by the way he had not been called up to give a blessing. So he says to me, he says, I, I wish I could tell you at my age that it doesn't hurt when you don't get called up for a blessing. But I can't. <laughs> he was admitting that his ego wanted a blessing. He was just whispering to me after the seventh man, he was sure he would be one of the seven and was not. And it was like, kills. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, but anyway, rabbis do not celebrate weddings. Rabbis celebrate anniversaries. Because what do you think rabbis are dealing with a lot of the time? Divorces. Well, we weren't going that far. Marriages. <laughs> not divorces. Rabbis, are dealing, rabbis do a lot of dealing with marriages, but a lot, like way more than they'd like to be. I mean, rabbis have tremendous scholarship. There's a lot of things you could ask a rabbi other than the fact that your spouse is making you insane, you know, but unfortunately, more than 50% of the issues rabbis deal with probably is marriages. So rabbis are more, much more interested in anniversaries than marriages, meaning anyone can get married. All you need is a pulse. But to stay married, <laughs> to stay married is, requires, you, know, you got to be made of something to stay married, especially in these generations. And one hint I can give you ladies, on, because on my way in, all I had was this guy speaking in the headsets, where, who was saying that his wife's marriage counselor, you know, not marriage counselor, her wife's coach, you know, like before the marriage, um, he's been dealing with this for over a year and a half now the bad words of her, her wedding coach. You know what she said to her? She said to her, um, these days men aren't really men. So, which is true. I mean, she was right about that part, but she was like, these days men aren't really men. So whatever your husband says, just do the opposite. And, uh, and basically the household's up to you. So you're the man and you call the shots and, and you know, your, your husband, he, he, you're, you're basically just marrying a woman. You're marrying a woman and just anything he says, do the opposite. And, and that's it. So this guy is on the phone with me and I fell into the trap a little bit by counseling her a bit, you know, where she was like putting devil's horns on the guy. And, uh, and I've been on the phone with this guy. I mean, he also made a million mistakes, but don't get me wrong. He's, he's completely blown. And, but a year and a half of hell, because she didn't let, she didn't make him the man. She was right. Men aren't really men today, but make him the man. Build your man. Build your man. No one, no woman's going to marry a man, but she can at least make him the man. She can turn him into a man. During the you know, year and a half, plenty of time to make a man, to turn a boy into a man. 
But uh, unfortunately, she told her the first part, then he won't be a man. But she forgot to mention the second part. Make him your man. She said the opposite. She said, just ignore him and uh, run the run the home. home you know. Anyway. And along with that, um, just to mention, ladies, is is your husband goes to the rabbi and comes home with he comes home with the goods. You don't go to the rabbi. Your husband. I blew it. I let her come to me. And and really, in fact, he should have been coming to me. He blew it too. He should have been coming to me way before she was, and then we would never have gotten to this issue. But he blew it enough that she came to me. But I should have. I should have really nodded a bunch while she spoke to me and then had a proper meeting with her. <coughs> proper meeting with her. Okay. Um, Shalom, everyone. We will discuss much more in Pesach as the days ensue. I give you Rabbi Aaron Nechmeyer. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.